Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Monday, May 22nd, 2023. It's been 3,372 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 453 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain private military company or PMC Wagner Group leader Yevgeny Prigozhin's claims that Russian proxy forces have fully captured Bakhmut are premature, but maintain our previous assessment that Russian forces will do everything possible short of seaburn, or chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear, to gain full military control of the city. Second, Russian tactics have validated our assessment that the Kremlin has moved to launching a small number of missiles on a more frequent basis and targeting areas with little military value but that are appealing to an internal audience as proof of continued successful operations. Third, the rift between the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, and PMC Wagner Group continues to disrupt Russian military operations in the Solidar and Bakhmut operational areas, resulting in territorial losses on the flanks and Prigozhin's announcement that PMC Wagner will withdraw from Bakhmut on May 25th. Fourth, our earlier assessment that Wagnerites kept up attacks within Bakhmut to provide Yevgeny Prigozhin with an exit plan to get out of Ukraine appears to be accurate, but it is yet to be seen if the Russian MOD will permit the announced May 25th withdrawal. Fifth, Ukrainian forces have stopped their retrograde operation in Bakhmut and are holding two pockets of defensive positions within the city. Sixth, in preparation for larger offensive operations, Ukrainian forces continue shaping operations on multiple axes, creating uncertainty among Gauleiters, Russian administrators, and military leaders. Seventh, the uncertainty of when and where the Ukrainian counteroffensive will begin, or if it has already begun, has forced the Kremlin to start deploying their limited and ill-prepared reserve troops in the Dvorichna, Kupyansk, Svatove, Solidar, Bakhmut, Klishivka, and Marinka operational areas to counter ongoing tactical advances by Ukrainian troops. Eighth, weather models indicate that Bezurizha, or mud season, will return by the end of May, leaving conditions unfavorable for significant military operations through June 5th. Ninth, Russian sources have significantly increased their information warfare through Russian state media, social media, and Russian MOD reports, following previous patterns during periods of Ukrainian military successes.
And finally, we've identified shaping activity by the Ukrainian armed forces in four locations that could indicate a larger attack is being prepared. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. In the Dvorichna operational area, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that fighting continued in the area of Masutivka. Ukrainian sources claim that Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu's PMC Storm Z is operating in the Dvorichna operational area and employing human wave attacks of penal units on Ukrainian positions. In the Kupyansk operational area, the Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian Surveillance, Reconnaissance, and Sabotage, or DRG, units were operating in the area of Peshotravnevi. The Russian MOD also reported that Ukrainian DRG units were operating in the area of Orlyansk. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. In the Svatova operational area, the Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian DRG units were operating in the area of Stelmachivka, and in the Kremina operational area, the MOD reported that Ukrainian DRG units were also operating in the area of Dibrova and the Serebriansky woods. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, the GSAFU reported that Russian forces attempted to advance in the direction of Ivanodarivka, trying to flank Spirna from the north, but the attack was unsuccessful. A geolocated video showed that on May 19th, Russian forces attempted to advance on Vyimka from Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk, following the forested railroad tracks, and suffered heavy losses, including three infantry fighting vehicles, or IFVs, and were forced to retreat to their starting positions. In the Bakhmut operational area, our team made a significant effort to determine whether Russian forces fully occupied Bakhmut or not to provide an assessment rooted in verified facts. Keep in mind, the situation is very dynamic and can change rapidly. In our assessment, at the time of recording, there is no evidence to support the claim by PMC Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin that Russian-aligned forces have fully captured Bakhmut. Our team has evaluated all available data and believes that Ukrainian forces continue to occupy two areas of Bakhmut. After our correct assessment on May 20th that Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky's statement on control of Bakhmut was misreported, Zelensky released an additional statement in his native language saying, quote, The Ukrainian military is in Bakhmut, at which points I will not share. Bakhmut has not been captured by the Russian Federation today. End quote. United States President Joe Biden told reporters that Russian forces had suffered 100,000 casualties in Bakhmut, which does include killed in action, wounded in action, missing in action, and prisoners of war. On May 21st, commander of the ground forces of the Ukrainian Armed Forces, Colonel General Oleksandr Sirsky, said, quote, Despite the fact that we currently control a small part of Bakhmut, the importance of its defense does not lose its relevance. This gives us the opportunity to enter the city in case of a change in the situation, and it will definitely happen. End quote. Deputy Minister of Defense Hanna Malyar released a statement on her telegram writing, quote, The enemy failed to surround Bakhmut, and they lost part of the dominant heights around the city. That is, the advance of our troops in the suburbs along the flanks, which is still ongoing, makes it very difficult for the enemy to stay in Bakhmut. 
Our troops took the city in semi-encirclement, which gives us the opportunity to destroy the enemy. Therefore, the enemy has to defend himself in the part of the city he controls. Our defenders maintain control over industrial and infrastructure facilities and the private sector of Bakhmut in the Litak area. End quote. The spokesperson for the main intelligence directorate of the Minister of Defense of Ukraine, Andriy Yusov, said, quote, The defensive operation of the Ukrainian defenders is ongoing. The Bakhmut fortress is holding. Yes, for Ukraine, it is worth the great efforts and heroic efforts of our defenders, but the fact that the enemy, he means Russia, is forced to transfer additional reserves in order to continue the operation on Bakhmut in general indicates the failure of their offensive actions. End quote. Russian mercenary mill blogger Ribar reported that, quote, cleansing operations were ongoing in Bakhmut, with longtime readers and listeners of the podcast knowing that roughly translates to, we spoke too soon and fighting continues. PMC Wagner leader Prigozhin blasted Ribar and other mill bloggers reporting offensive operations were continuing anywhere around Bakhmut, saying that Wagnerites had ended all offensive operations and were preparing for their May 25th withdrawal. Prigozhin reiterated that the Wagnerites were leaving Bakhmut by May 25th and the Ukrainian theater of war by June 1st, saying, quote, As I said yesterday, handed over our positions to the Ministry of Defense, he means of Russia, and from the 25th we leave the combat zone. We are at war for 428 days. Therefore, those tasks that will continue to be carried out are going to be carried out by the brave units of the Ministry of Defense. And we are going to field camps. From June 1st, not a single Wagner PMC fighter will be at the forefront until we undergo reformation, re-equipment, and additional training. End quote. The Russian MOD reported completing 69 fire missions in the Bakhmut operational area, and Russian Army Aviation and Air Force, or VKS, executed six close air support sorties. Some quick assessment. This figure is almost unchanged from May 20th, and roughly the same number of artillery and airstrikes that were committed when Ukraine held broader control of Bakhmut. We estimate that Ukrainian forces maintain control of about a square kilometer of Bakhmut. That's just under half a square mile, or roughly 1.8% of the city, divided into two pockets. In northwest Bakhmut, the GSAFU reported that Russian-aligned forces attempted to regain lost positions in the direction of Hryorivka and failed. Rybar claimed that PMZ Wagner was fighting Ukrainian forces near Romova and received a furious response from Prigozhin that Wagner Group is not engaged in any offensive operations in the Bakhmut operational area. No other reliable or semi-reliable source reported fighting near Romova. In southwestern Bakhmut, a geolocated video showed Ukrainian forces operating west of Yuvilena Avenue, southeast of the Children's Hospital, and passing by the remains of the grocery store and apartment block number 95. The Ukrainian troops were moving unopposed with no sound of artillery, drones, or small arms fire. We could verify the video was recorded after May 13th and could not have been recorded from May 15th to 19th due to the continuous shelling of the area during that time. Russian sources released a video of Ukrainian troops driving along the roadway to the districts near the Children's Hospital, claiming they were retreating. Geolocation, however, showed the Ukrainian troops were advancing into the area. 
About a thousand meters to the east, a geolocated video showed that Russian forces had placed a flag on the apartment buildings at Levanivskoho Street, west of Yuvalena Avenue. The first evidence that Russian troops had advanced past the intersection of Yuvalena and Tchaikovsky Streets. Wagnerites hung a Russian and PMC Wagner flag from the roof of the apartment block, just east of where the MiG-17 statue used to be located, with Russian state media recording video showing the flag from the apartment buildings east of School No. 2. The report from Russian state media showed that fighting erupted around the buildings with the area being shelled. Ukrainian forces claimed they took the flag down but did not provide visual proof. Pictures released on May 21st showed that shelling continued in the southwest corner of Bakhmut, further reinforced by the Russian MOD reports of fire missions conducted in the area. If you're still not convinced, the Russian MOD reported, quote, in the vicinity of the village of Krasnoye, which is Ivanivsky, a road bridge was destroyed, which was used to transport armed forces of Ukraine reinforcements to Artemovsk, which is Bakhmut, end quote. Assessment here. This raises two questions. First, why are Ukrainian forces still rotating troops into Bakhmut if fighting has ended, as PMC Wagner has claimed? Second, wouldn't they need the bridges intact if Russian forces were planning a push to Chasivyar, Kramatorsk, and Slovyansk? These are obviously rhetorical questions, with the report from the Russian MOD undercutting their claims of fighting ending in Bakhmut. See, Russian commanders would want to protect the bridges if they had planned for future military operations and would be fighting to secure them. In our assessment, this is a defensive decision because the handoff with PMC Wagner will further drain reserve forces and the ruins west of the railroad tracks are nearly indefensible. In the Klishivka operational area south of Ivanivske, Russian and Ukrainian sources reported that Russian troops continued attempts to regain lost territory and remained unsuccessful. Russian forces attempted to advance on Ukrainian positions west of Klishivka by moving along the tree line, but were spotted by drones, which coordinated artillery fire and drone-dropped IEDs. Russian forces suffered heavy losses and retreated to their defensive positions. We do link to a video in our full situation report on Patreon, but be aware that some viewers may find the video disturbing. Shoigu's PMC Storm Z is operating in the Klishivka operational area, with Ukrainian forces taking at least one POW who claims he had arrived only three days earlier. The forced pullback of Russian artillery from Klishivka is already causing problems for Russian ground lines of communication called GLOCs, those are supply lines, with one tank, four infantry fighting vehicles, or IFVs, and four SUVs destroyed by Ukrainian artillery east of Andreevka. Russian forces continue to be unsuccessful in their attempts to push back Ukrainian forces at the Seversky Donetsk Donbass Canal east of Bilohora. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. In southwest Donetsk, in the Avdiivka operational area, Russian advances reported on May 20th north of Krasnohorivka which we did not map, have been taken back by Ukrainian forces. 
The Russian 1st Army Corps was able to retake positions at the railroad track east of Novokalinove, advancing 300 meters. The advance was limited with another geolocated video showing Ukrainian forces at the railroad tracks a thousand meters south of the Russian position. The GSAFU and Russian military mill blogger Wargonzo reported that Russian attacks in the direction of Avdiivka were unsuccessful. A geolocated video confirms that Russian forces lost positions they recently captured near Krutobalka. Artillery units of the 1st Army Corps are reportedly being redeployed to Bakhmut to backfill departing PMC Wagner units and bolster the defense of the flanks. This further confirms our earlier assessment that Russian forces lack reserve equipment and the Russian MOD is being forced into making decisions to weaken combat potential in one operational area in order to bolster another. South of Russian-controlled Opitne, an ammunition depot under the abandoned Donbass Bypass Highway was struck by a Ukrainian drone, resulting in its complete destruction. The GSAFU and Wargonzo reported that the Russian 1st Army Corps attempted to advance on Sieverne through the no-man's land north of Odyana and suffered heavy losses at the exact same dirt road intersection where their advances have been stopped since February. The GSAFU and Deep State reported that Russian forces made another attempt to advance on Pervomaiske from the south, suffered heavy losses there, and also retreated. In the Marinka operational area, fighting for Marinka continued within the remains of the city and the area around it, still without any change in the situation. In the Vukhladar operational area, the Russian 1st Army Corps continued attacks on Novomikhailivka and maintained their time-honored military tradition of taking losses and retreating to defensive positions. The Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian DRG units were operating in the area of Solotke. Based on geolocated videos, we moved the line of conflict 300 meters west and expanded the gray zone. The Russian MOD also claimed that Ukrainian DRG units were operating in the area of Volodymyrivka. In occupied southwest Donetsk, insurgents reported that Ukrainian forces struck a Russian convoy and troop concentration at the gas station in Nikolska on the T-803 highway G-lock into Zaporizhia. At the time of recording, there was no information on casualties. A video from Russian sources showed that Yena Kieve was shelled for the third time in a week. Ukrainian drone video showed how Russian forces are attempting to conceal armored vehicles less than 200 meters from civilian housing in the Petrovsky district, southeast of the Galaxy Market. Ukrainian forces fired grad rockets from multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, on the Russian positions, maintaining a corridor outside the dangerously close window to civilian housing. A Ukrainian missile strike destroyed the Russian ammunition depot at the Mospina airport, with the sound of ammunition cooking off clearly heard in the geolocated video. Insurgents in Mariupol reported that the storm shadow missile strike on the airport west of the city over the weekend destroyed multiple pieces of Russian equipment, killed 24 Russian troops, and wounded 37 more. Photos show damaged military equipment being moved out of the base, and satellite images and analysis by Brady Afric showed a massive crater and a second smaller crater at the site and indicated that a tent encampment had been obliterated. Photos are linked in our full situation report that we published yesterday. Moving on to Zaporizhia. 
In occupied Zaporizhia, Ukrainian forces struck Tokmak with rockets fired by HIMARS, destroying two electrical substations, killing five Russian soldiers and wounding 12. Power was knocked out in the settlement and in the surrounding villages. A Russian command and control site in Berdyansk was hit by a Storm Shadow cruise missile near the airport, sparking a fire that could be seen kilometers away. In occupied Melitopol, insurgents continued to place signs and posters across the city, declaring that the Russian spring is over and the Ukrainian summer will start on August 1st. At the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, a Russian cruise missile attack caused the 750-kilovolt power line that feeds external power to the plant to overload, disconnecting service to the only backup line that serves the plant. At the time of recording, internal power is being provided by emergency diesel generators, and radiation levels are normal. This is the seventh time the plant has been left with no external power source since being occupied. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OKS, reported that the Black Sea fleet has 10 vessels on patrol, including one Kilo-class submarine and one frigate capable of launching 12-caliber cruise missiles in total. Ukrainian sources claim that a Russian Su-35 multi-role fighter plane crashed into the Black Sea off the coast of the Kherson Oblast, with Russian officials denying the claim. We can't verify the report. In occupied Crimea, Simferopol and the surrounding area experienced a blackout, with Russian officials claiming it was caused by a, quote, technical issue with high-voltage lines. Ukrainian officials reported that a single reconnaissance drone flying toward Odessa was destroyed by air defenses. In western and central Ukraine, a geolocated video confirms that Ukrainian forces control the islands at the mouth of the Dnipro River, with Ukrainian positions hit by two Fab 500 SE UPMK glide bombs. Russian forces conducted 57 fire missions using 318 artillery rounds, mortars, Grad and Smirch rockets, indirect tank fire, drone-delivered IEDs, and aviation, attacking the city of Kherson four times with 22 munitions. One civilian was killed in Kozatsky due to Russian shelling. Stanislav was hit by at least two Fab 500 SE UPMK glide bombs, causing extensive damage from the concussion of the blasts, but no casualties were reported. The commander of the operational group of Ukrainian forces in Kherson, Mikhail Drapati, told the Washington Post, quote, Ukrainians forcing the Dnipro test the Russian lines on the southern front. Certain conditions are being created so that the Dnipro barrier not only hinders us, but also helps us to fulfill the task. If there are suitable conditions, we will move forward. End quote. Sending further hints that Ukrainian forces may attempt a crossing of the Dnipro. Assessment here. We remain highly skeptical that Ukrainian forces will conduct a large-scale wet crossing and amphibious assault across the Dnipro due to the risk and complexity. In occupied Kherson, a Russian ammunition depot in the Chayeve was destroyed, with the fire visible from the west bank of the Dnipro. In Dnipropetrovsk, Russian forces launched a large-scale missile and drone attack on Dnipro, launching 20 Shahed-136 Kamikaze drones, 4 KH-101, KH-555 cruise missiles, and 5 KH-22 anti-ship air-to-surface cruise missiles. 
Air defenses were able to intercept all 20 drones, including 15 near Dnipro, and all four of the KH-101, KH-555 cruise missiles, but not the KH-22 cruise missiles. A cruise missile struck a factory in Dnipro, causing extensive damage, and the shockwave damaged three additional buildings. A second cruise missile targeted Dnipro's main emergency services facility, destroying 20 fire trucks and heavily damaging area buildings, wounding one. In Khelaryanivska, a cruise missile badly damaged three houses and nine apartment buildings, wounding seven. On the Russian front in the Bilgorod operational area, the leadership of the Free Russian Legion announced in a video, which we do link to in the full situation report, that an effort by Russian partisans to overthrow the Putin regime was starting, stating, quote, We are Russians like you. We are people like you. We want our children to grow up in peace and be free people, that they can travel, study, and simply be happy in a free country. But that has no place in today's Putin's Russia. Rotten to the core with corruption, lies, censorship, restrictions on freedoms, and repression. In a Russia where a person's life means less than an official's purse. In a Russia where they build a separate railroad to the bunker grandfather's residence. He's referring to President Putin. Instead of repairing roads in the regions. In a dictatorial country where children are separated from their parents for calling for peace and teenagers are given life sentences. But the time has come to put an end to the Kremlin dictatorship. Your support is what every day reminds us of the final goal of Red Square. Be brave and have no fear because we are coming home. Russia will be free. End quote. Several hours later, ground troops, tanks, infantry fighting vehicles, and infantry mobility vehicles supported by artillery advanced across the Russian border at Kuzinka quickly overwhelming the token border guard force. Partisans reportedly attacked the border checkpoint in Glotovo, shooting at least one Russian border guard in the head. We have elected not to share the graphic video. Shortly after the cross-border raid started, the head of the GUR, Kirillo Budinov, released a video in Russian explaining how to surrender to Ukrainian forces. At the time of recording, local Russian authorities and the Free Russian Legion reported that Kozinka, Glotovo, and Gorapodol were under partisan control and under the flag of the Bilgorod People's Republic, with heavy fighting reported in Grayvoron, which is contested. Bilgorod Oblast Governor Vyacheslav Gladkov claims that Russian partisans were shelling Zamoste. Evacuation of civilians out of Grayvoron, escorted by Russian infantry fighting vehicles, has begun but may be suspended with an alert asking residents to go to bomb shelters due to ongoing shelling. A video from local residents in Grayvoron recorded the sound of small arms fire and artillery, and Russian sources reported that the deputy mayor and two of his staffers were wounded. Videos showed at least half a dozen armored and infantry mobility vehicles were in Glotovo, moving uncontested through the area. Members of the Russian Volunteer Corps also announced that their forces were, quote, back in the motherland and had reportedly advanced on the Russian border village of Tronovka. The radio stations in Bilgorod were hacked, with a broadcast in Russian advising residents to evacuate immediately. Russian officials were scrambling to contain panic, with Bilgorod phone numbers being mass robocalled with fake evacuation messages. Ukrainian State Intelligence Service spokesman Andriy Yusov 
confirmed to the Sospilna newspaper that Legion Freedom of Russia and the RVC are conducting an operation to create a, quote, security strip to protect Ukrainian civilians. Some assessment. Given this statement from Ukrainian officials, this appears to be more than a border incursion. Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov told reporters that Russian President Putin had been informed about a, quote, attempted breakthrough into the Bielgorod region by, quote, Ukrainian saboteurs. The Russian MOD claims that they knew about the attack in advance, and the whole event is a trap to destroy the Russian partisans in Graivoron. Russian state media agency Baza is reporting a Russian Mi-8 transport helicopter crashed in Prokhorovka, almost 100 kilometers from the advancing Ukrainian-backed Russian partisans. All of these events are happening just 24 hours after a group of men appealed to Governor Gladkov to form a Volkssturm of local civilians and arm them with light weapons for what they believe is an impending Ukrainian offensive, saying, quote, Our city and region have long stopped being defended. We understand that ahead of the armed forces of Ukraine offensive, our forces won't fully help and protect us. The front line is huge. End quote. Unrelated to Ukrainian-backed partisan activity, a Ukrainian drone dropped an IED on the administration building in Golovchino, destroying the building. The village of Tishanka was shelled, destroying power lines and knocking out power to the settlement. In Bryansk, Ukrainian forces attempted to damage an electrical substation in Rudnyatsata with a drone-delivered IED, but the device missed its target. Six trains were detained in the Moscow region due to the sabotage of a relay cabinet, which was destroyed by fire. The Ramenskoye-Bronitsi line was impacted, and it took first responders 45 minutes to arrive on site and bring the fire under control. At the G7 summit, United States President Biden was asked, quote, Is the delivery of the F-16 a colossal risk, as they say in Russia? End quote. His response was brief and direct, quote, it is. For them. End quote. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.